electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Morgan Brennan, coming to you live from separate locations. Kramer has the morning off. The bulls are looking to take out last week's highs, and the overnight action in China and Europe may help them get there as Shanghai pops nearly 6%, hopes that policy support can offset more record COVID cases in the U.S. Oil's above 40, plenty of news and energy, as Squawk was just discussing, David. But uh, if Jim were here, he would probably marvel once again at the level of interest in buying in this market. It is, uh, it is something to behold. You know, the case count continues to rise significantly in terms of the virus, and we've talked a lot, and we'll hear from Meg again. Meg Terrell has been following it so closely for us, Carl, and yet the market only seems to go up with the more cases that we get. Uh, and that is leaving some people scratching their heads, but others just view it as, listen, we are going to get to the other side, and there is a, a view of what the economy will look like. Um, and then you come back to the Fed. Carl, which seems to be the fuel that everybody sort of points to as the as the uh, the key fuel, I should say, for this market. Yeah, uh, Morgan, a lot of notes yeah. over the long weekend, and we hope everybody did have a, a great long weekend. But uh, more debt, more liquidity, more asset reflation. That was literally the title of the J.P. Morgan note on Friday. Yeah, so for all those folks that were basically still stuck at home or not traveling and getting on airplanes, there was lot, lots to digest in terms of market commentary over the weekend. You know, I would, I would add to the Fed, I would add the expectations that do seem to be baked in around what phase four fiscal st- stimulus is going to look like. Obviously, there's this very tight window at the end of this month to see something worked out in Congress. The devil's going to be in the details. We don't totally know what those are going to be yet or how big a potential package is going to be. But you need to essentially or the market would like to see something passed um, by the end of this month before some of those extra unemployment benefits run out, et cetera. So that's going to be something that we continue to watch. I just want to go back to oil for a minute because it's interesting. Um, You've seen some of those high frequency closer to real-time data points that investors and strategists have been getting a little more creative with in terms of being able to track where we're at in terms of the economy here. But the story also with oil specifically is that you've seen weekly U.S. output fall to about 10.5 barrels per day from a near record of 13 barrels in late March. That is a rapid-fire record cut in production here in the U.S., Um, And it's not the type of cut that we've ever really seen before, going back to the data that has been tracked since the early 1980s. And I think that is part of what is giving um, oil more of a bullish uh, angle, if you will. But keep in mind, so many of the U.S. oil producers still can't make money at $40 a barrel. It also speaks to this 25-year low we've seen in natural gas. And, of course, something we're going to talk about later in the show, um, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, this deal for those Dominion assets as well, Carl. Yeah. Uh, commodities in general, uh, Morgan. We'll talk about the Buffett news, obviously, later on. Uh, there's the Duke of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, copper, a uh, five-month high today, yeah. uh, in large part on China optimism. 
And then Freeport, of course, uh, sort of hopping on that uh, copper price action, saying the Q2 sales will be ahead of consensus. So uh, that, that hard asset reflation trade is, is pretty interesting, David. You know, David Rosenberg's tweeting just now about Buffett's hedge and his view kind of the perfect hedge against inflation, given uh, the cash flow dynamics, but also uh, a a good hedge against deflation, given the hard asset. Yeah. And there we're talking, of course, uh, Dominion Energy, for those who perhaps missed it over the weekend, selling uh, what is substantially all of its gas transmission and storage segment assets to Berkshire. Uh, It is the largest deal we've seen Mr. Buffett do in some time. Uh, it's about $9.7 billion. That does include, uh, what, about $5.7 billion of existing indebtedness. But the enterprise value, close to $10 billion. And to your point, uh, Carl, and the point that I guess Rosenberg's making as well, is, um, you know, there's not, I mean, they're injecting sort of what City's calling a shot of adrenaline in this midstream space. Um, and it's perhaps going to be seen as a validation of a value investor thesis in midstream, which has been facing distribution cuts, weaker commodity prices, a weakened outlook for volumes, ESG headwinds, as you might expect, uh, and questionable capital allocation decisions. So there's a look at what Berkshire is buying. And we're calling it a $4 billion deal because that's the actual equity value here. Uh, Again, uh, roughly closer to 10 when you throw debt in there as well. Uh, and they also take that 25% stake in the liquefied natural gas export, import, and storage sites. Uh, but not an insignificant deal for Berkshire, which we know yeah. has been very quiet throughout, other than being a seller of airlines. You've also got to think that this is a, a yield play of sorts, right? I mean, we've got interest rates at you know, near zero right now. And when you're talking, whether it's when you're talking about midstream energy assets and, and the infrastructure, um, a lot of that is structured as MLPs, for example, when you're talking about utilities, you're talking about so much of the earned income going back to shareholders, too. Yeah, we're going to get uh, we're going to dive into Berkshire. Obviously, there's Uber Postmates and a bunch of other uh, sell side calls today. In the meantime, though, let's bring in Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research, uh, talk about, uh, Ed, what I guess some are calling a head scratcher of a rally this morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you. Well, I'm, so we got, I'm not really uh, sp- 15 states. I, I was going to say we got 15 states with new records. Uh, we got new restrictions in Australia and Israel on, on covid. Goldman's cutting their Q3 rebound forecast. Is this all about uh, China jawboning or is it something else? No, I think it's to a large extent uh, still more the same that we started to see ever since the Fed uh, adopted QE forever on March 23rd. Uh, You remember the week before that, they did QE4, announced that we're going to do $700 billion of Treasury and mortgage-backed security purchases. That didn't work. And within a week, uh, by March 23rd, they came in and did QE forever, saying they would just buy Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities open-ended. And uh, they basically started a program that I called No Asset Left Behind. They said that they were going to buy corporate bonds, including some uh, of the lowest-grade investment-grade bonds that had turned into junk. Um, And that created a tremendous pressure to rebalance out of bonds and into stocks. And so we've had um, a melt-up ever since March 23rd, following the meltdown uh, that we had just uh, prior to that. Uh, I, I think the bull market is still intact. I, I don't even view the sell-off that we had back in February and March as uh, really a, a bear market. Uh, I think we're seeing the, maybe the tail end of this bull market with a melt-up. Uh, so th- you think and th- there's plenty left in this, in, uh, on this thesis here that you have, 
there's more gas in this tank. Well, how much yeah. are we into the melt-up process? Well, if the, if the market would uh, take my advice and just go sideways and consolidate its gains and let earnings catch up, let the economy give us a V-shaped uh, recovery initially, then maybe a swoosh. Uh, but I think uh, the Fed has just poured in so much liquidity into, into the market there's a potential for something that might look like 1999 all over again. Uh, remember that Prince song um, uh, about partying like it's 1999, and uh, the market <laughs> certainly has that potential. So then, Ed, are, are you saying that the market is, I guess, for lack of a better word, bubblicious right now? Or given the fact that we are basically in an unprecedented scenario where the Fed and where rates right. are concerned, um, do we need to be thinking about valuations in a different way in general? Yeah, we, we, we definitely need to think about valuations uh, uh, very seriously. Look, what, what should the forward P.E. of the S&P 500 be when the Fed funds rate is zero, where the 10-year Treasury bond yield is under 1%, and the Fed is uh, leaving no asset uh, behind? Uh, they're not buying equities directly, but they don't have to. They're just by keeping interest rates near zero, uh, they're forcing a lot of people to rebalance into, into equities. Uh, so um, I think uh, there's a potential for the P.E. to go still higher. I mean, we in the old days, before the great virus crisis, as I call it, uh, we all kind of agreed that the normal uh, fair value P.E. was something around 15. Um, now it's uh, we're, we're at 22. And the question is, what's fair value? And I don't even know that that concept makes sense in a, in a market that's uh, totally been uh, co-opted uh, by the central banks. So I think uh, we could be looking at a higher P.E., and that would certainly be consistent with what I call the mother of all melt-ups, uh, which I think is the possibility here. So, Ed, then where should investors be putting their money to work? Is it equities? And if so, are there specific places that you like better than others? Well, at, at this point, if you're in the equity market, I'd stay with it. Um, uh, if you're a long-term investor, uh, I'd be rooting for the market to consolidate. But uh it may not be uh, that considerate. It, it, it could be a continuation of a melt-up. And along the way, uh, I may very well recommend uh, taking some profits. Uh, but we'll see. It's still, it's still early in the game. Yeah, Ed, it's David. Um, when you say the market is totally co-opted by the central banks, and there are quite a few who would agree with you on that, I right. guess the question then becomes, at what point is it no longer co-opted? Do we have to wait until we start to see some signs that Powell's going to get back to normalization, or uh, is yeah. it something else that, that Well, we, we see? seem to be uh, in, a, in a situation where the central banks uh, keep crossing red lines, and uh, once they've done that, uh, we're, we're shocked to see that there's even, there are even more red lines to cross. Um, I mean, people are talking about the possibility of uh, negative interest rates, about the possibility of the uh, Fed actually buying stocks. I mean, just just the fact that we're talking about these things is incredible. And as you saw in the last minutes, uh, they're talking about something called yield uh, curve uh, uh, targeting, uh, which would say not only do they want the Fed funds rate to be zero, but they want the bond yield not to be over 1%. Maybe they'll put a specific number on it. So these are the kind of conversations that suggest that the Fed's in this for the long haul. You know, if it was a matter of six months and then the Fed's out of the game, that would be wonderful. Uh, but they're talking about a couple of years of uh, persisting with uh, near zero interest rates, which is a disaster for anybody in fixed income securities. And whether you like it or not, if you're an investor, you really have to seriously consider uh, rebalancing, moving out of bonds and into stocks. And a lot of people aren't necessarily going to feel very comfortable with that, with uh, the market already having run up so much. 
And so, Ed, um, if if policy accommodation is one part of the equation, how does the market process the cessation of more economic activity if that happens because of COVID, uh, or does it simply focus on on the positive? Well, I, I think the market is accentuating the positives for sure. And uh, uh, while uh, the the news on the uh, the virus front is uh, still terrible. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, we, we've had cases go up and now uh, we're seeing hospitalizations go up. And um, the concern, obviously, is that unless the uh, new treatments uh, are really effective, uh, we're going to see deaths go up. Um, I, I hope that uh, we, we do find that more and more people take this very seriously and realize that the alternative to lockdowns, which have been absolutely horrible for the economy, uh, is uh, wearing masks and continuing to social distance as best we can without actually uh, staying home and locking down the economy. I don't think we can go back there. And I think that's what the market is uh, is basically betting on, that uh, we're not going to go back and shut the whole thing down. Uh, we're going to deal with hot spots, and we're going to have some states that are may, may be troubled. But the overall economy is a big economy. And um, we are seeing a lot of the economic indicators uh, bottoming in, uh, in April. I mean, this could be the shortest recession of, of all times, followed by the longest expansion that we've had of all times. And, I mean, we're, we're setting records for sure. Yeah. Well, as you say that, uh, TSA traffic for Thursday, uh, 764,000 is the most since the middle of March. So your point's well taken. Yeah. Uh, Ed, thank you for starting off the week. It's going to be an important one. We'll see you soon. Yes, it is. Thank you. Well, as coronavirus cases continue to surge, Regeneron announcing it is starting late-stage trials evaluating its antibody cocktail for the treatment of COVID-19. Meg Terrell joins us with the details. Meg. Good morning, Morgan. Well, these are moving incredibly quickly. Regeneron only started human trials with this antibody treatment uh, in June, and now they are saying they are in the late stages of testing these. Uh, and what they're looking at is really two different programs. One is a prevention trial that's going to be done in collaboration with the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. That's going to be done in uninfected people who've had close contact with a patient with COVID-19, housemates, for example. The other is late-stage trials they're going to run in patients with COVID-19, uh, both hospitalized and non-hospitalized patients with those data expected later this summer. Now, these are going to be large trials for the uh, treatment trials. They're going to enroll 1,850 patients in one of them and more than 1,000 in the other in the U.S., Brazil, Mexico, and Chile. Uh, and this drug is administered through an IV, whereas in the prevention trial, they'll be enrolling 2,000 patients, and that drug is given as a shot. Uh, so this is not a pill. It's not super easy to take, but they are uh, figuring out how to give it outside the hospital. Uh, now, um, they do expect to have data later this summer, so uh, we're going to be staying tuned for that. I also want to update you guys on the case trends we've been seeing over the holiday weekend. Holidays are always a little bit wonky with data reporting, but the trends still continue, continue seeing records in states like Florida over the weekend. Uh, in the United States, daily cases, you can see there have been rising. Hospitalizations are also starting to rise as well. And though we are seeing the daily numbers of deaths still declining, experts say they do expect that to start to pick up a few weeks after the hospitalizations rate as well. Uh, in terms of the states of major concern, Florida, of course, reporting more than 10,000 cases yesterday. California, Arizona, Texas, Georgia, uh, those all also of concern as well. Multiple states, according to Evercore ISI, 
are at a peak on their seven-day average from Alabama to Montana, New Mexico, Ohio, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. So guys, trends in many places in the country still going in the wrong direction. Back over to you. Yeah. Hey, Meg, it's David. Uh, and I've, obviously, we mentioned that at the top of the broadcast, despite and well, with the market still going up. But I wanted to come back to uh, antivirals because, you know, I've been making or at least uh, focusing on one in particular, which is EIDD uh, 2801. That has been licensed by Merck, of course, from Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. That is an oral antiviral. That one also in trials right now with COVID patients, small trials. So then they've got to move to the larger trials, the same, I guess, as Regeneron does in terms of the larger population for these antivirals, which we should make clear they're not the vaccine, but they could be very effective if they are effective in preventing the spread because they would be taken very early, potentially on onset or even prophylactically. That's right. So uh, Regeneron seems to be out in the lead in terms of novel drugs developed specifically for COVID-19. But as you note, this is a different form of administration. So for the treatment, it's given as an IV in the hospital, uh, or if you are in the prevention trial, given as a subcutaneous shot. Uh, That's different, of course, from uh, oral drugs, pills, which would be a lot easier to distribute and to take. So that will be very closely watched, this Merck drug licensed from Ridgeback Bio. A lot of news today to kick off uh, the hour and the week. Meg, thanks. We'll talk to you in a little while, our Meg Terrell. When we come back, we'll get to that Uber Postmates news, which was uh, finally made official. Got sell-side calls on Intel, a new street high of Tesla, and we will probably get a NASDAQ intraday high at the open when that happens in just under 15 minutes. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Uber confirming it has agreed to acquire Postmates for $2.65 billion in stock. That deal boosts Uber's presence in food delivery, obviously. Uh, David, a lot of discussion this morning about whether this was sort of an optimistic sign of companies finally putting big money to work or uh, a consolation prize after not getting grub. I think more of a consolation prize. And of course, it is all stock, uh, $2.6 billion worth of that stock, which Postmates is happy to have. As we know, the company had been that being Postmates considering an IPO, not atypical for companies to decide whether they want to go the public route. It is a private company or just sell. In this case, they did. Listen, back in January, I know some people who were negotiating to buy uh, stock in Postmates at $1.6 billion valuation. So you could just imagine then that the uh, Mm. significant increase that has taken place and that their willingness, therefore, to sell for Uber stock. We'll keep an eye on shares of Uber, though, as well, Carl. 
Um, we detailed the back and forth that went on for weeks between Grubhub and Uber. Uh, it wasn't really as much about price, as I said many times, as it was about the antitrust risk and Uber's apparent unwillingness, at least, to give Grubhub what it wanted in terms of giving it satisfaction that it could deal with any antitrust blowback that might come should they have bought uh, Grubhub. Eventually, it sold to Just Eat's takeaway. Didn't take a competitor out of the U.S. market. This does to a certain extent, although you still have the three big guys, DoorDash, now Uber, which gets bigger with Postmates, and of course, Grubhub, which has the added firepower of its European owner as well when, these, when that deal gets done. Yeah, I find it interesting, too, that Lyft is actually trading higher. It's up about three and a half percent right now pre-market. And obviously, Lyft is a more pure play North American rideshare company. And uh, you, you got to wonder what happens with that name as well, whether something like food delivery is going to now be on the horizon for that company, whether they steer clear. And then also more broadly, what the beginnings of con, you know, consolidation for the, for the industry look like versus the fact that in Uber's case, um, you know, you're talking about increased market share basically in two major markets, but it's not that much consolidation. So um, the fact that the market is reacting as positively as it is to it this morning, I think it is kind of curious. Also just wonder what's going to happen in terms of those synergies and layoffs. What happens to Bastian Lehman longer term, uh, the founder of Postmates as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, Morgan, when you say you're going to issue 84 million shares and your stock goes up, that's not a bad thing. Now, we have seen that in the in no, secondary no. sales as well <laughs> lately, uh, and, you know, where, where the stock of the company being T-Mobile is a perfect example, have gone up. There is just seemingly a, a desire on the part of investors to buy these things. In this case, again, I reference 84 million shares because that is what they estimate they will yeah. be issuing to Postmates to get this deal uh, completed at that $2.6 billion valuation. All right, guys. Yeah, one of the big stories to watch. Opening bell in a few moments on this Monday. Don't go anywhere. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Global stocks rally to a four-week high this morning. Futures up big, trying to take out last week's high here in the U.S. as uh, the markets take stock of the explosion in policy accommodation all around the world. Futures up 400. We're back in a minute. We've talked a lot about the optimism in the markets on this uh, Monday morning, despite the fact that uh, in the first four days of July, 15 states here in the U.S. have posted new COVID records. It's bad enough, Morgan, that uh, over the weekend, Goldman did cut their GDP forecast for the third quarter, uh, now looking for 25 percent versus a prior 33. Because of the COVID resurgence that we've been seeing around uh, the country, they do add, Jan Hatzia says, we do expect the economy to get back on track in September. But it's that near-term economic activity yeah. they're a little concerned about. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think a 4.6% contraction in 2020 is now what they're calling for. But as you mentioned, you know, looking to get back on track in September, we'll see how all that goes. I mean, certainly we've had a number of guests on our air uh, in recent days and even in recent weeks from small businesses and restaurants to uh, large companies, large manufacturers who have said, yes, this initially looked um, very much like a V-shaped recovery. We saw things like consumer uh, activity comes raging back. But now, given the fact that we've seen this increase in cases and, and what's going on in some of these key parts of the country right now, starting to slow down, starting to soften some of those metrics I'm talking about. So um, perhaps not surprising to see that Goldman is now making these revisions. David. Yes, Morgan. Uh, you know, <laughs> the people I speak to during the course of the day, uh, many of whom feel compelled to buy, still wonder in terms of economic uh, growth or whether we will see any and what next year really looks like, what kind of an unemployment rate we're going to actually be yeah. dealing with as we head into the fall. Still concerns, of course, about the virus, as you see, but not reflected, at least it would seem, in that green that we're going to see in the real-time exchange back at HQ as we hear those opening bells, Carl. And we uh, watch Brett Finn uh, fill in here. Uh, kind of reminds us of one of those days last week, uh, David, where Kramer was like, what are those red stocks at the bottom? Uh, we'll look for that as, uh, as the market does open. Dominion Energy, Duke, uh, and Intel is going to be among the red squares at the open. Intel cut to sell at Goldman, David, as they see second half PC build slowdown. And then on the heels of that move by Apple to uh, go vertical on chips, maybe more share loss. Yeah, that was an interesting call this morning. And we can see, I mean, not much of a give up there for the stock. Um, and I know a number of our experts in technology did focus on that story as being one of the larger ones in technology last week. Of course, another story we've been following closely has been Facebook and the advertisers uh, who have at least paused at this point their um, advertising on the platform and yet, uh, stock really, I mean, it did back off for one day, but I'm looking at it today. Of course, it is perhaps performing not quite as well in this first couple of minutes of the markets open as Apple or Alphabet or Amazon or even the Nasdaq comp. But it is up as well as Facebook. Uh, in the face of uh, those continued, Carl, uh, I don't want to, well, defections, at least for now, of major brand names, but seemingly not impacting the core of Facebook's advertising, which is direct response with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that really do rely on it uh, for their most effective means of reaching uh, potential users. Yeah. Um, and after uh, banning Boogaloo from, uh, from the site last week, David, uh, this morning, WhatsApp says they will suspend processing requests for user data from Hong Kong law enforcement uh, a move that comes on the heels, of course, of China's new national security law regarding that city. But, Morgan, it does feed the argument that Facebook's yeah. maybe getting a little more aggressive on policy, even at the margin. Yeah. And, and we're having this conversation as the Nasdaq hits a fresh intraday record high to start the trading session. And as the European Commission is basically getting ready to 
released the details around what could be potentially, I think, three new laws this year and what's left of this year to address things like platforms liability, um, force them to uh, essentially set up businesses, establish business businesses within the EU uh, as it looks to crack down on companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, and this idea of big tech antitrust as well. So it, it's interesting to see that investors are continuing to shrug this off uh, today to start the trading week. I'd also um, just point to Carl, another stock I'd point to. Uh, all right. I was ahead, just going to say another stock I would just point to today is um, is Boeing. It's a name we watch every single day. Obviously, it's a major Dow component. Um, it's up today again. The fact that we've got reports now that the next Boeing 737 MAX government test flight is scheduled for potentially as soon as this week. It's called an operational readiness review. Uh, that's going to be continue to be one to watch. It basically focuses in on that flight control system. And we get that even as the 747 jumbo um, final order parts have been placed. And, and we're seeing, although I don't think Boeing has actually confirmed that this is the case, but we're seeing the official, potentially the official retirement uh, of that aircraft as well. So you can see that stock's up about one and a half percent today. Um, and we have, as you noted, Morgan, we've had we have gains across the board. I mean, I'm looking at Apple here crossing the one point six trillion market uh, value uh, market cap, um, which haven't I don't know if we've ever seen it's right near an all time high. Amazon one point four six trillion. I always like to look and Microsoft uh, at one point five eight trillion. So right there, uh, just an enormous amount of market cap. And, uh, you know, Microsoft up thirty two percent this year. Apple, 26 percent. And Amazon, of course, at 59 percent, making Mr. Bezos wealthier than he was before what seemed to be a very expensive divorce at the time from his uh, wife, Mackenzie. Um, guys, a couple of quick things to, to uh, specific to news. Uh, Crown Castle, um, one of the big tower companies, 40,000 plus towers, of course, seen as a, a um, Many of these, well, American Tower, SBC, and this seen as sort of safe money in some ways. Structured as real estate investment trust, so the return, very important in terms of the dividend. But um, figuring now in activism, uh, this morning we do get news from Elliott. Uh, they put out a long letter, a uh, plan as well, calling, uh, calling their plan for Crown Castle. They own a billion dollars worth of the stock. Um, reclaiming the crown, I believe is what they're calling it. Uh, and the key here really gets down to capital allocation. They do say Crown Castle is deploying more capital into its fiber business and towers, even though the fiber business dilutes the company's return on invested capital. Uh, and they go on to say as well, the public market values fiber at significantly lower multiples, a bad formula for the company, uh, says uh, Elliott. Here's a billion dollar position, not insignificant, of course, a $40 billion fund is Elliott. This is a $70 billion market cap, so still on a percentage basis, not that large. But they have, they've invested in fiber, different strategy than has been pursued by the other two large tower companies. Uh, and what Elliott seems to be looking for, and this is not, by the way, unfamiliar terrain for many of the analysts who follow the company as well, is a dialing back of the investment that continues to be made, capital investment that continues to be made by the company in fiber. Spend less, fund a larger dividend is kind of a simple way to put it here. They're not necessarily talking about a divestment. They do say that they've uh, at least initially approached Crown Castle in May. 
uh, about a comprehensive plan to remedy what they call its chronic underperformance. By the way, Crown Castle has performed quite well versus the S&P, but versus those two peers, American Tower and SBA, uh, not as well. And so we'll see what management has to say, if anything, at this point. We are, again, talking about a large company, $91 billion enterprise value, roughly 40,000 towers. All of these stocks, Carl, have done quite well in part on the continued growth of 5G as it starts to be put into service, the need there for small cell sites uh, as well. Uh, And um, what was seen as and expected to be more spending by the likes of T-Mobile now that it is a larger player with more capital at its uh, that it can use. Yeah, uh, what amazing uh, price appreciation in all of those names, David. Uh, speaking of uh, recommendations, uh, Tesla 1274, as um, uh, it's uh, JMP this morning that t- hikes their price target from 1050 to 1500. That's going to be a new street high. Uh, Morgan, I'm sure you read the note. 100 billion in revenue they see by 2025 with 20% EBITDA margins. Um, even as Elon Musk trolls the shorts over the weekend. Uh, advertising a pair of shorts with the name of all the models. Uh, and at 1280, guys, that's yes. essentially uh, three times 420. Uh, and 420 is a magic number in Tesla history. <laughs> Four, yes, 420 is the magic number. Uh, and, and my gosh, uh, it's, it's amazing to think that was, what, two years ago? They were trying that that stock was attempting to get there in, in terms of a, a potential takeover and all of the drama of the SEC and Twitter uh, or tweets, I should say, unfolding. Um, yeah, I was much more distracted by the red satin short shorts that are now apparently going up for sale <laughs> at Tesla. <laughs> um, but it's also Whoa. pretty surprising. We've seen some other. There you go. We've seen uh, some other uh, upgrades and price target increases in, in recent days and recent weeks. And, and as soon as we see them, it's almost like the, the stock, the share price just blows through it. So certainly um, it def- continues to defy gravity with those shares up five and a half percent, David. Incredible. I mean, you know, I won't go through every name, but just to, it's bigger than Verizon <laughs> and it's bigger than AT&T. All right. Uh, both of those yeah. have market caps that are below that of now the, uh, the heights of $236 plus billion that Tesla inhabits as now one of the largest market cap companies yeah. out there. It was bigger than ExxonMobil a long time ago, but that just gives you some sense here, uh, of course, uh, in, in terms of the value of the company and what investors believe is going to be, Morgan, not just, of course, continued dominance in EV, but other areas as well that Tesla is going to be able to potentially dominate. Um, 205% move this year. It, it really is staggering to watch. Another stock that has been quite strong, uh, but did get a downgrade today. Carl mentioned Intel with a key downgrade. You also have Bernstein downgrading Spotify this morning. They increased their bear bull, bear base bull forecasts across the board for higher podcast growth versus value, increased paid streaming subs in North America. Uh, their bull case has even higher subs globally. Anyhow, all of it still indicates target price at 285 and not much upside to the current market. It's having the slightest impact. This stock took off, by the way, we should point out, after Don Ostroff, who runs content at Spotify, came on our air on June 25th. Jim Cramer leading much of that interview. I did ask her as well, though, about Howard Stern, who, of course, is a longtime creator of value, you could argue, at SiriusXM. His contract is not that far from being up. We know Spotify has moved so strongly into podcasting. Ms. Ostroff coming on to talk about that. And I asked her at the time about Mr. Stern and whether or not Spotify would ever consider employing him 
This is what she had to say at the time. Howard is great. I know that he um, has been tied to another company. But when you look at some of the deals that, that we have made, um, you know, we do believe that the companies that we've bought and the, the talent that we're, we brought onto the platform will help us become the number one audio platform in the world. I only mention it because the stock did take off. You can see just the move since as well. June 25th was enormous for the stock. And I am told it was in part this idea, at least, of them continuing to be so aggressive, uh, Carl, in terms of going after top talent that might include the likes of a Mr. Stern in the future. These things take a long time. That Joe Rogan deal, it's not like it happened overnight. That can take potentially years to negotiate those kinds of uh, significant contracts. Spotify, though, continuing to benefit enormously from that move into podcasting, as you see, up 80 percent this year, despite, again, that downgrade this morning from Bernstein. Yeah, sort of offsets what Goldman said on June 25th, uh, saying while there are considerable risks to the podcast strategy, David, uh, we believe the optionality these efforts create leave the risk reward in a favorable position. They went from 205 to 280. So uh, there's a really fascinating debate right now regarding podcasts and sort of this binary outcome of whether the rewards uh, come, as you say, with time. Yeah. And, you know, it is an investment, but they're being rewarded for it. And the stock, remember, had kind of not done much for some time. Remember, it was a direct listing back in the day. A longtime CFO left uh, and it has been straight up uh, for for that name. Um, in media, not much else. Uh, you know, I do notice shares at Disney are up this morning. Uh, Morgan, they continue to focus on an open for the parks in Orlando that is coming soon, despite the new records that are set every day in Florida, uh, or almost new records, of new cases of the virus. Disney perhaps going to continue to forge ahead there, uh, but a lot of questions about that. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, Disney and Apple do seem to be the blue chip proxies in terms of the reopening efforts and, and this idea of almost, you know, two steps forward, one step back when, when it comes to, you know, halts on reopenings and the like. So uh, so it's one to keep an eye on. I also got to wonder, I mean, they released Hamilton for streaming this weekend. Maybe there's a little Hamilton bump with the Disney Plus as well. Who knows? I'll leave the... Uh, I guess analysis of that one to Carl. Um, but the other name that I'm watching today as well is Harley Davidson. That stock's up about 6% right now. It was initiated a buy at City. Um, keep in mind, this is the U.S. motorcycle manufacturer. Um, it has been, it was struggling before coronavirus. We've seen the past five years, we've seen sales declines. Um, but what City argues is that the recent stock price collapse reflects a uh, likely further near term collapse in volumes and margins. but quote, gives no credit for the significant turnaround potential under a new CEO. So we'll have to see what other details we get in terms of restructuring from that name in earnings in the coming weeks. Carl. All right, guys, uh, we got an all time high on the NAS, as the president has noted on Twitter. S&P up five days in a row. It would be today. Uh, that would be the longest streak since December. Let's get to Bob Asani. And it's, uh, Carl, good to be back, by the way. Been away for a few days, but it's really a powerful rally. This is 10 to 1 advancing to declining stocks. You very rarely see that right at the open. But this is part of really a, a global rally that's been going on over the weekend. And really in the last uh, week or so, as you see uh, the Shanghai just powerful rally there. Chinese authorities are literally trying to jawbone the markets up, and they are succeeding in doing that. Japan's Nikkei also up, the Europe stock 600 up, 
and the S&P 500 also. All nice rallies across the globe here. Here in the U.S., uh, broad rally, uh, really broad. As I said, 10 to 1 advancing to declining stocks. But banks have been kind of flattish in the last week. They're up nicely today. Energy's, you know, oil's been hugging with the $40 line for a couple of weeks now. Uh, it's also outperforming. Industrials had a modest rally last week. That rally is continuing. Tech, new high, historic high there in the tech sector. Uh, semiconductor, SMH, also uh, new high there. That's continuing to outperform. And staples in healthcare, more defensive sectors, lagging a little bit, but still in the green. The reopening stocks, well, I would say they've been flattish and flash to slightly up, depending on what sector you're looking at in the last week or so. But even here, everything is essentially up 1%, 2% or more here, including some of the airline stocks like United, Avis, even Live Nation, uh, the hotels like Wynn, Expedia is having a good day uh, as well. People over the weekend, big debate is why we're continuing to have these rallies. I can describe the bull case. I can tell you why the market is rallying. You may not agree with me, though. A lot of people don't, frankly. But the simple case behind the bull market is the worst is behind us. That is the key story, that the second quarter was the bottom. The stimulus is the key here. The stimulus, the market believes, is the backstop for the earnings recovery. The V earnings recovery, by the way, and it is if you actually look at the numbers they're anticipating. Not just more stimulus from the Fed, but more stimulus from the government. One to two trillion dollar package coming somewhere in July or August. The reopening story is a little bit more difficult. It's controversial. There's a pause. There's some cases a reversal. But the idea is the bull case is the second wave of infections are going to be smaller than the first wave. Again, considerable debate about this, but Europe is returning to higher levels of activity, the bulls say, while containing the virus, and the U.S. could be able to do that as well. And, of course, we've heard about treatment and improvement in the vaccine and hopes for the vaccine. Look at this global rally that we're seeing, though, here. In the last oh, week or so, uh, Shanghai is at a two-year high. As I said, the authorities there are literally trying to jawbone the markets higher and have been succeeding. Japan's near a one-month high. Europe's up four of the last five days and the S&P 500, a five-day win streak, as you heard there from Carl. So the, guys, the, the idea here, guys, <laughs> is very simple here. We can contain the virus somehow. And the important thing is, so far, that attitude is certainly prevailing. Again, though, very controversial. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, it's good to have you back. Uh, Bob Pisani, we'll talk to you in a bit. So the S&P is working its way back to the flat line for the year. Dow's up uh, 380, back above 26.2. We're back in just a moment. Mortgage bailout numbers improving for the moment, but not as much as some had hoped. Our Diana Olick explains. Morning, Diana. Good morning, Carl. Yeah, the number of borrowers in government and private sector coronavirus-related mortgage bailouts just fell by the largest weekly volume since these plans were put in place. But there are some big red flags, and I'll get to those in just a second. As of June 30th, 4.58 million homeowners were in forbearance plan, that according to Black Knight. That's 8.6% of all active mortgages. Now, these plans allow borrowers to delay their monthly payments. And after rising the previous week, the number of loans in active forbearance plans dropped by 104,000. That's the largest one-week drop since the start of the programs in March and brings the total volume to the lowest since the first week of May. Now, volume fell in part because more than half of all active forbearance plans, that's over 2 million of them, were set up with 90-day periods and began in March and early April. So they would be scheduled to expire or at least be reviewed for extension in June. About 2.2 million loans in that category. So the drop suggests that 
some of those borrowers did not need an extension, but it also shows that many more of them did need an extension. Remember, the bailout program under the CARES Act, signed in late March, allows borrowers with government-backed loans to delay their monthly payments for at least three months and then extend that up to six months and then potentially a year. Now, as we see the potential for extra unemployment benefits expiring, as well as the deopening of the economy due to rising COVID cases, these numbers may actually get worse after now getting better. Back to you guys. All right, this is going to be a key one to watch. Diana Olick, thanks for breaking that down for us. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Just getting a check on the markets 20 minutes into the trading day. Uh, major averages firmly in the green with a Dow at 422 points or 1.6%. The S&P also up just about 1.5%. Fifth straight day of gains is what we're on pace for there. Every sector in the green. And the NASDAQ up 1.6%, hitting a fresh intraday record high. Stay with us. We're back after this break. S&P 3173, highest since June 10 led by the banks and energy and leaving those defensive names behind. A lot more Squawk in the Street continues in just a moment. After a few weeks in which passenger traffic has been increasing, a troubling trend perhaps emerging for the airlines, and it has to do with cancellations. Let's get to Phil LeBeau to learn more. Phil. And David, those cancellations and slower bookings, that's what we're starting to hear about from the industry. And this comes after we saw the best week since mid-March in terms of airline travel and the number of people who got on a plane. And that's not surprising. We knew that the numbers would be strong for the 4th of July weekend. And yes, it was the best week since mid-March. Still, airline travel, especially when you look at last weekend, it was down 72% compared to the 4th of July weekend last year. Nonetheless, all of the airline stocks moving higher today, up anywhere between 2 and 5%. Keep in mind that the airlines, they are adding more flights. They are expecting to see more people hitting the road in July and in August, and that's why I see a dramatic increase in capacity. But the bookings, as well as the cancellations, are seeing an impact because of the surge in COVID-19 cases. I've heard from airline executives who said, yeah, we're seeing a slowdown in bookings right now. And cancellations is understandable since people have until the end of 2021 to take a trip. If they decide, yeah, this is not the right time to go away, I just won't take that trip. I'll hold on to the ticket and I'll go somewhere down the road. The airline index is reflecting uh, an industry where you see greater certainty in terms of liquidity, but you also realize this is going to be a slow rebound, guys. And the cancellations, uh, as those increase, yeah, they can recognize the revenue immediately, but they are not seeing the type of rebound that they would like to see, uh, certainly in July and August. And this is when they've got to make as much money as they can. Yeah, it's such a key distinction, a key nuance right now for investors, Phil, especially given the fact that we are seeing these airline stocks higher again this morning. I'm just curious, uh, the fact that Boeing is uh, poised to do its its next government test flight yep. for the 737 MAX right now, uh, if, if all goes according to plan over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, and you actually see this plane uh, recertified and, and back into service before back into operation before the end of the year, is that actually going to be a positive for the airlines as well? Or given the fact that we are seeing such depressed numbers for the airlines, does it actually become a negative now? I don't think it becomes a negative. I think that you're seeing, first of all, if it does get recertified and you start to see the airlines like Southwest start to fly the MAX again, 
look, the MAX gives much better fuel efficiency. The costs are going to be lower than the existing 737s in the, in the portfolio. So they would like to use it. Um, but you're not going to see huge numbers, okay. Morgan. So I'm not sure that you can say it's either a positive or a negative. But clearly, the airlines who have been waiting for this plane, who already have these planes that are sitting and waiting to be upgraded, they want to get this back into service. Phil, thanks. Uh, fascinating numbers, which uh, we're uh, paying attention to more and more, obviously, even on a daily granular basis. Our Phil LeBeau with some of the TSA traffic numbers. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.